Hello, hello, welcome to Talk Racing to Me, show 37. I'm your host, Naomi Tucker, and today we have a Pegasus World Cup special, including analyst Acacia Courtney. A lady that hardly needs an introduction, the wonderful Acacia is a mainstay as an analyst and host at Gulfstream Park, as well as the Fox Sports Naira shows, America Today at the Races, Saratoga Live. With the Pegasus World Cup Invitational and Pegasus World Cup Turf Invitational taking center stage on Saturday, what better to do than examine the fields closely? As always, check out the library worth of racing content and just general great insight into our industry and a bit of entertainment too in the money media. Let's keep on building that squad. Subscribe to the main feed for all the shows and of course to the separate feeds of your favorites, including Talk Racing to Me. As for occasion I capping the big races in sunny Florida on Saturday, let's go. Acacia, I'm so happy that you've managed to find some time in your busy schedule to join me once again. Uh, we spoke last in Saratoga, which was kind of a, a busy period, but I feel like this lead up to the Pegasus is even busier for you. What have you been up to? Yeah, it's definitely a very busy time. Um, I think it's the Pegasus is always very stressful and and full days because you know for a while leading up to it who the horses are going to be it's not just a regular kind of um, race week where we draw on Wednesday for Saturday and then you go from there we, we did draw the fields yesterday but we've been kind of assembling the fields for the last few weeks and trying to get some content and interviewing connections and things like that and then of course with the world of COVID this year kind kind of getting a little bit creative on a few other things so um, just had the draw yesterday and now it's just the final pieces I'll be working on rundowns today for Saturday for the Pegasus shows and then finishing handicapping the rest of the card as we do have a 12 race card with five stakes on Saturday. I know, pretty good undercard as well. So I can imagine you being very busy. What What are the things that you have been working on? You mentioned interviews and features. Yeah, every year I always put features together for the Pegasus World Cup, which is something I really enjoy. And I do it a lot um, for some of the bigger races at Gulfstream where I get to produce them and um, kind of put all these things together. So that's always a fun part about it. So we had a story on tax this year as he's coming back kind of a little bit for revenge as an five-year-old after stumbling at the start of the Pegasus World Cup last year. Did a story on Todd Pletcher, who has three runners in the turf race this year, which you might not ordinarily expect, maybe thought of more primarily as a dirt trainer. Um, story on Suge McGahee, who has code of honor in the dirt, and then two horses in the turf as well. And then uh, Jose Francisco D'Angelo and Jesus's team and kind of being the local horse and getting a chance to catch up with him and the whirlwind that Jesus's team has taken him on this year and finishing in the money in some of the biggest races on our calendar. So I always enjoy those kinds of things. Um, did a you know, Zoom interview with Brad Cox leading up to it, getting, catching up with some connections as much as possible. Thank goodness for Zoom and the world of COVID-19. But um, like I said, making it as as interesting and information filled as possible this year and, and looking forward to two very competitive and I think interesting wide open races. 
I have to agree with you there. I was handicapping them this morning and I'm going, okay, Acacia, where, where are you going in the turf? Because this is uh, <laughs> this is quite something. So yeah, we'll, we'll get to handicapping them in, in just a second. But I just remember you telling me a story about flying to, what was it, New Orleans to interview uh, Steve Asmussen at the time for one of the Pegasus World Cups coming up. I, I'm imagining that this year, that is indeed the Zoom interviews and that wouldn't <laughs> have been possible, right? Absolutely. I'm sure if we were able to, I would have gone to New Orleans to see Brad Cox and get some footage of Nick's go as he is the morning line favorite. But that was a couple of years ago when Gunrunner was running in the Pegasus World Cup. So I flew in, I want to say it was like a Thursday afternoon and then Friday morning went to the barns interviewed Steve Dallas Stewart was there as well and he had seeking the soul in the Pegasus so I interviewed him too and then I flew out that that evening so it was a short trip but it was worth it to get some sound and, and of course get some shots gun runner in his stall and things like that um, so that's the only time I've been to the backside of fairgrounds but I, it was for good reason so of course not able to do those kinds of things this year but like I said making the best of it with what we can. I've never been to fairground. So what is it like over there? I've actually not been to the races side. I've only been to the backside. <laughs> so I'm probably not the best person to tell you. Um, and so I, I have not uh, actually been there. I did, um, Maggie Wolfendale and I were covering fairgrounds on their opening day on the Fox shows on America's Day at the races and they had a problem with the PA system and their audio and there was no race call so I can say I've called three races no. at the fairgrounds so Maggie and I uh, called the first three races in a little tag team style on opening day at fairgrounds. <laughs> How tough was that? That was not easy no I have I've always had a world of respect for race callers but actually then doing it and just not being as to familiar with the horse population obviously it handicapped the races but I don't traditionally follow fairgrounds it's not a circuit I'm usually covering and it was opening day there and there are so many trees I don't know how John Dooley does it they're at fairgrounds so even more respect from him for him than than before oh wow I can imagine half being obstructed from viewing the field and then all of a sudden they've like someone made a middle movie like who was that yeah no idea <laughs> And then it was sunny um, and the camera was shaking and it was just, it was a lot. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I always, you know, we all keep our eyes peeled to all the good quality racing from, from across the nation, but I've never been myself still on the bucket. Well, I've been to New Orleans. I've never been to fairgrounds, so I don't know how that worked out. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I, it's still on the bucket list. That's for sure. But let, let's chat about Gulfstream Park. Uh, how is the track currently? How are the conditions? What is the, the weather forecast? It's been beautiful. We've been really lucky. It's been mid-70s this week. It'll be like that all week and expecting mid to high 70s and sunny on Saturday. So that's great news. We did have a rainy day a couple of years ago, and I, I would hope to not have to deal with that again <laughs> on a day like this. So um, good news. It'll be fast and firm, and that's what you always look for at Gulfstream. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what we know from Gulfstream, right? It's always going to be firm. When When... When will we have seen a turf course with a fair bit of cut in it at Gulfstream? Well, sometimes throughout the hurricane season, you absolutely will, particularly in the fall when the meet's happening at Gulfstream Park West. There'll be many races taken off of turf. There'll be a lot of heavy rain. You will see some turf courses listed as good throughout the meet at Gulfstream. It just doesn't rain that much. And when it does, the turf course drains so quickly. And... Um, 
it, it, it is very firm turf, as we know. So you're not really going to see that here through the winter. In the summer and fall, absolutely. And races will come off the turf because it's hurricane season. <laughs> so let, let's chat a little bit about the Pegasus World Cup as a race day, because we know that there are limited tickets available. So there's mm -hmm. still the opportunity for diehard fans to, to make an appearance. Is it kind of like the British Cup where we were like, oh yeah, there's not going to be anyone there. And then there's still a fair few people there. Well, Gulfstream is a smaller track. And I think that's kind of the feel with Keeneland too. So it's, you know, there's a place like Belmont Park or something like that, where it's a massive track. It won't be as magnified if there's a limited number of people in attendance. So Gulfstream is smaller. So I think in general, it will kind of feel a little yeah. bit more full just based off of that. Um, there is a tiki area open on the north side. Um, there, there are seats set up along the apron. There are tables available in 10 palms and a limited number of people up in the flamingo room. So people will be spread out. There are sanitizing stations everywhere. Masks are required if you're not eating or drinking. Um, so there will be all of the steps taken to make sure that it's a safe day, but we're really looking forward to having a limited number of fans back for that and, and make it feel like a real race day because the buzz is what, of course, we've all been missing this year. So I I, am, I will admit I am looking forward to that. Oh, I can imagine. I, I even remember just us, you know, in the week leading up to the Preakness, we knew there weren't going to be many people there, but there was still this kind of vibe because you know that, you know, there's something special coming up. And even though we might not have the usual crowds or the party, now I'm not familiar with the Preakness party because I've never been to a normal <laughs> one, but it, you know, it's something that you, you still look forward to that atmosphere. Talk to me a little bit about this week leading up to Pegasus. Are you uh, out there in, in the mornings or is that not possible? Because you mentioned um, there's sort of heavy restrictions on the backside. For good reasons. Of course. Yeah. So I'm not able to, to go on the backside this year. Nobody is uh, for COVID restrictions, which is, of course, completely understandable. And like I said, it's smaller. You, the pr Protecting the horsemen and those that care for the horses, you have to put that first. And so no media on the backside. Um, so haven't been able to do that or trips to the training centers like I would normally do with Payson Park and Palm Meadows and Palm Beach Downs, um, all within a couple of hours of here. So would normally be at those in the mornings leading up, getting sound, shots of horses. Courses, uh, so we haven't been able to do any of those kinds of things. So that's where a lot of trainers, if they've been coming here to the races, able to get interviews with them then, or uh, again, our good old friend Zoom has come into <laughs> to play uh, as well. I had never heard of Zoom like before the pandemic, so um, I'm sure they've done quite well this year. In fact, but but yeah. Uh, we will have some horses schooling today. We had a couple yesterday. There are a lot of schoolers today for the Pegasus runners. So I'm looking forward to seeing those. Nick's go, the two from Dale Romans. Shug McGahey will be schooling again. He schooled performer in Code of Honor last week. So we got a chance to see them. Uh, Pixelate for Mike Stidham schooled yesterday. So that's when the buzz really starts picking up as you see these horses arriving and coming into town and all of the preparations going into play. We had the draw yesterday, um, normal racing days today and tomorrow, though, with, with full cards and competitive cards at that. So uh, life still goes on as far as that is concerned. But Saturday is always a, a day that, that really does feel special. 
And I'm so glad you're mentioning about the, the schooling because I definitely want to hear from you which runners are looking good or who you've already seen and if you were impressed with them or not. But uh, yeah, let's talk. Let's start with the first race that I want to cover. We're going to just cover the two uh, Pegasus World Cup races, the Pegasus World Cup Turf Invitational. Uh, you mentioned the draw was yesterday. In terms of the draw for this race, a mile 316 on the turf, there is a fair bit of run going into that first turn. How significant are the post positions in this race? I don't think it's too much. I think in, in a golf stream in general, you'd always prefer to be inside than outside. Um with these two turn races, that is. So I think that there's not really too much conversation about that. Um, the outside, I think really the one that's most impacted is social paranoia because he's a major player off of a big effort last time out, has shown some positional speed in the past, but he's also shown the ability to close. So it will be up to Luis Sias to be able to save some ground, kind of get in a rhythm. But as you mentioned, there's a little bit of time with the mile in a 316th format to get in position and be able to save as much ground as possible because with these longer races, as we know from the quarter pulled to the wire that's where the real running happens you want to be able to save as much until that point yeah absolutely it's funny that you mentioned social paranoia because he's one of the horses that um, I put in my selections because in this race like I said before I feel like this turf race is coming up incredibly strong I'm so looking forward to seeing how this is going to pan out especially you know the traffic uh, who's going to be where and I end up thinking I'm going to try and find value in this race I'm going to try and go with some longer shots and social paranoia eight to one was one of them but I was indeed wondering how maybe the outside post was either going to hamper him or do you think, as you just mentioned, that it kind of allows Louis size to look inwards a little bit because he has, you know, he's not going to go to the front so you can kind of see it all un um, mm -hmm. unfold. I think it's it's going to be a rider's race in that respect. Like I said, he has the ability to close and he can really close very well. Of course, you don't want to be stuck wide on either of the turns or anything like that. So it's never an ideal situation. But like I said, with this distance and an outside post, if it was a one-turn mile or um, like the dirt race where it's very short run into the first turn, I'd be a little bit more concerned. But in here, I, I think... Yeah, it's not ideal, but it's certainly not impossible. And in terms of other runners, of course, we've heard a lot about um, one of the other top Pletcher horses in mm -hmm. Colonel Liam. He's most likely going to be uh, your favorite. Uh, how do you rate his chances in this one? It does seem very wide open. Do you think it's good value to go um, with the horse that is going to go off a little bit shorter? No, I think he'll actually be over bet. And I'm a fan of his. I think he's a talented runner. Uh, obviously, the waters are getting deeper this time around. He's going to have to step forward. It's his first time in grade one company, though he ran a very good race in the Saratoga Derby, which will now be a grade one, but it was against fellow three-year-olds. So he's facing older horses. Um, tough big field here I think his last effort was really strong and I think he's one you have to use I just think that he's not really going to offer any value um, I think Largent is one that's really never done anything wrong it, it's kind of surprising too that his first appearance in graded stakes company was just last time out but he's six for nine he's never run worse than second and he's pretty tactical as well and I think that's definitely his biggest advantage yeah, I, I liked him a little bit as well. Possibly, maybe indeed, as you mentioned, a little bit better value opposed to Colonel Liam. Of course, Todd Pletcher going in here with an incredibly strong hand. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I'd like to just place a bet on Top Pletcher winning it because I feel like that is and that would be wonderful in this spot. But if you look at some of the other horses, maybe longer shots, uh, where did you go? Um, well, I think, yeah, Todd Pletcher has a really strong hand, but I think Shug he does too, as he has two runners in here. And North Dakota coming off of a win in the Red Smith. I actually think a mile and three sixteenths is a bit too short for him, which you don't often say. Um, meanwhile, I think breaking the rules, this is actually a perfect spot for him. So he's one that I think will be a price, but I'm going to be using. He was my pick in the Fort Lauderdale. And I actually thought he moved a bit too soon um, last time out while Largent really reaped the spoils of his stablemate Halliday and Factor This, who were two very, very good horses, but were part of a searing hot pace up front in that Fort Lauderdale. It was it was very fast. I mean, they went 46 and one at the half for a mile and an eighth turf race. So um, I think Largent really had the perfect setup, whereas breaking the rules kind of made that first move into a pace collapsing and was stuck, um, not really being able to finish up as well. But I thought he ran poorly in the, in the lore, but had a legit excuse with the track condition and the soft turf and the Knickerbocker. And I think he had a little bit of a sneaky trip in the Fort Lauderdale. So he's wanted a price back with John Velasquez that I think could run a big race in here. Oh, I like that. I must admit, I feel like he went a little bit under under the radar for me. Mm-hmm. I ended up looking a little bit more at, um, like you said, the number 12, Social Power North, really liked him here. But even the number 11, say the word, just kind of sneaky coming in here for Phil Diamato. He's a deep closer. He's got a really, really strong late turn of focus in that turf handicap. I think it was a 124 uh, time from US uh, last final quarter, which is just really, really sharp for, for any horse, especially a horse that had already run, well, that was a mile and a half trip. I thought it was interesting looking at, I think it was some of the comments that were made that he could have stayed in Santa and, you know, at Santa Anita home track and, and gone for the great to San Marcos coming up mm-hmm. in, I think a week or so, but instead he flew him out here. Have you seen him yet? Or what are your thoughts on say the word? No, I, I haven't seen him coming here yet, but I did see him in Saratoga. Um, where he uh, nearly took out my cameraman that afternoon. No. Could not have been worse behaved in the paddock. He was just a total mess. He was all keyed up. And I had totally dismissed him, to be quite honest. And everybody else said, too, as he was over 50 to 1. Then all of a sudden comes back with a big third in the sing spiel and then wins the grade one Northern Dancer. And I think he really backed that up with the performance in the Hollywood Turf Cup because I think there had been questions as to maybe how legit the Northern Dancer was um, with a grade one win. Um, so I'm going to be really curious to see him here this week when he gets into town and before the race as well, because I've seen his antics before races. And obviously, I don't want to see that, especially coming to a warmer climate here, too. Um, but he was very successful coming down from Woodbine and winning at Saratoga. So he's one that I'm actually using underneath. I, I like him a bit um, in this spot uh, I just hope he behaves oh yeah no especially with the warmer climate you don't want him to lose all those fluids and and just basically completely overboil in the preliminaries that wouldn't that wouldn't be ideal at all now another horse I like a sneaky little interest in but like a sneaky one because he's 20 to 1 aquaphobia with Joe Bravo back on board has been two months away from the track of course Mike Maker of that type of layoff does very very well and 
Joe Bravo won on him, what was it, I think four starts ago in the United Nations, going, of course, a little bit further. But if you're looking at Joe Bravo on a long shot, I was just thinking back of when I saw him at Santa Anita in the Breeders' Cup Distaff, winning on Blue Price, who paid like $19.80. I was like, you know what, this horse runs for him and never want to underestimate Mike Maker either. No, absolutely. And Mike Maker has two in here with Cross Border, the New York bred, going back into Graded Stakes Company. He'll kind of be tactical, be up in the first flight. Um, I'm not the biggest Aquaphobia fan, but he has obviously run some really good races. And, um, you know, he's he's one that could certainly show up at a price. I think that this is a, a very wide open race. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised just about anybody running well, honestly. I think you could make a case if you really try for any horse in this field my thoughts exactly that's why i was going okay i need your help with this because my (laughs) my tactic here when it comes if a field is that wide open i prefer to start looking for those price horses because Mm -hmm. unless you have a a very clear favorite that you think is indeed going to get that perfect trip not going to get bothered probably maybe making case for nick's go here in the the pegasus world cup that we're going to talk about in a second but in a race like this i feel like if you have a clear opinion on a longer shot this would be the place to go for it. So if you had to give sort of your selections for, for this race, who, who would be like your top three? Well, we didn't talk much about another twist of fate who I think will be one of the favorites. Um, I don't think he'll be quite as short as um, Colonel Liam, who I think will be the favorite, but I think he's one you have to use because I I do believe that he is the speed of the speed and has kind of found his home on the turf for Peter Miller. Uh, I will include Colonel Liam, though I think he'll be over bet, but I'm really hoping breaking the rules at a price can pull a bit of an upset. Okay, well, that's definitely... uh... A very good good horse to include, indeed, the number two breaking the rules. Yeah, I ended up looking at those sort of outside horses that we were talking about earlier. I like the 11, say the word. I like 12, yeah, well. social paranoia. And then just out of sheer interest, thought the seven, aquaphobia would be like very intriguing at a 20 to 1 price based on the value that I'm, I'm getting here. And just, you know, a sneaky Joe Bravo, Mike Maker uh, you know, reuniting again. We'll see. We'll see how things uh, go there. Let's move on to the Pegasus World Cup. Of course, uh, the feature of the day on a very, very strong card. I dare say everyone will keep following uh, throughout the day. And in this race, of course, let's just start with the horse that is going to most likely go off as favorite as the four Knicks go. And as I sort of alluded at earlier, um, this is a horse that's drawn well, has a lot of speed. Do you think anyone's going to pressure him from the get-go? Of course, the turn comes up uh, quite a bit faster than what we were talking about in the turf race. Yes, I actually think there's going to be a very hot pace in here. Um, And for some reason, I just don't trust Nick's go. And I felt that way in the Breeders' Cup. And we all know about how that turned out as well. But um, hats off to Brad Cox. He's done a sensational job with him. He's clearly the best form of his life. Um, But it is, it's a very short run into the first turn. If you are interested in what the format of the race looks like, go back last week and watch the replay of Last Judgment, who's in this race. He's coming back really quickly, but he won the Sunshine Classic at the mile and an eighth distance last time. That was Florida Breds, but you'll get a key on where the gate is positioned and you'll be able to see it quite clearly if you're curious as to what the um, mile and an eighth looks like. So we don't run that many races at nine furlongs on the main track here. Uh, I think with the inside draw, 
And short run into the first turn, Sleepy Eyes Todd must send from the inside, especially because he's stretching out in distance. He has one at the nine furlong, so that was at Charlestown, which is about 15 turns. I, I don't even know, but it's a, it's a bull race. <laughs> it's so very tight, there's, yeah. there's, It's more than just a two-turn race. Um, and I really do think that Mr. Freeze, who has speed, he's he's one that's really hindered by the draw outside. He's going to have to be aggressive um, from outside. And I would imagine there could be a pretty quick pace, particularly those two I think are going to send, um, especially Mr. Freeze with the draw, as he and Bodie Express were part of that big pace setup in last year's Pegasus. Mr. Freeze was able to hold on for second. I just don't think he's quite as good a horse this year. So with that said, I think that Nick's go has been sensational, but he's been sensational alone on the lead in his last couple. So we'll see what happens when he has some pressure this time. Yeah, definitely be very intriguing uh, to see what's going to happen. So who would you be looking at to kind of sit away from that developing pace and sort of pick up the pieces? I I must admit, bias here, I got drawn a little bit to Harper's first ride because he's obviously (laughs) coming up from Maryland, but also absolutely love Jesus' team, as you mentioned, just a wonderful story and a horse that clearly has been doing quite well at the higher levels. Yeah, he has. I mean, he's he's been so good finishing in the money in those big races. And absolutely, does is he a candidate to pick up a check in here? For sure. Um, I don't I don't think he's a win candidate. I do think he's kind of the horse that runs to his competition. I know that he had uh, been sent to the farm, been sent up to Alcala after the Breeders' Cup, and came back a work or two short for the claiming crown. Luis Ayas really had to keep after him to get the win at a short price that day. But I'm a fan of him. Jose D'Angelo says he's much more fit coming in this time. He certainly could pick up a check. Um, but I think tax is really going to be in the catbird seat right behind the pace spoke to Danny Gargan the other day and he said he was just so sharp and really fresh off the layoff that he kind of bounced out of the gate in the Harlan's holiday he's he must have put on at least a hundred pounds since last year I mean he just kind of blew me away with how much he's developed physically he looks like such a stronger horse yeah he he looks amazing um and mentally I think he's progressed too and Danny has said they really worked on the gate because he said he's not bad in the gate and I thought this was really good and interesting information it's just that he's so big so when he's in there both ends of him are touching the gate so he can get a little bit off balance before the race begins and sometimes that ends up in a poor start and we saw that in last year's Pegasus where he stumbled at the break so I do not expect that to be the case this year and Louis Saez is and one of the best skate riders around so I think that that's really going to be a key for him he should get a great trip and I think our good old friend Code of Honor should hopefully get a good trip if he's the Code of Honor um, that we know has the ability he's going to be running late yeah, no, of course, Code of Honor, I had to include him as well. Sheer, sheer class coming into this. Mm-hmm. And is he coming back in? Like, he, I'm not saying he's not in form because looking at that, you know, Clark Handicap run last time out second there, that's still a very, very good race. But it, with him, it's just kind of, it seems like he never reached back to that pinnacle of when he won the Travers and then, well, he got put up in the Chocolate Club Gold Cup behind such a strong Vino Rosso, who then, of course, went on to, to win the Classic that year. Like He was so good back then. I'm just wondering, is he coming back into that form? He, he could be. Uh, are we worried about him being on the outside draw? I did see, I was reading up hmm. about the stats there. Only 10 of 225 horses who have started from post 9 to 12 have won races carded at a mile and eight 
on the dirt over the past 13 years. So that's over 4%. Mm-hmm. I took this from DRF, by the way. No, 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 for sure. I looked at the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you um, think that's going to, yeah, is that going to be a problem for him? I mean, he he's not going to go to the front. He's going to sort of tuck no. him behind. It's not ideal, for sure. Like I said, I think this, the draw is a much bigger conversation in this race than it is in the turf race because of how short it is into the first turn. And I, again, if you want an example, go back to the first Pegasus World Cup in 2017 where Airgate was drawn post one and California Chrome was far outside and California Chrome was stuck wide the entire race. And he didn't run his race that day either, but you could see early on he was in trouble in just not being able to get any position. Code of Honor, though, is, is a closer. And I think he's actually better when he's able to come from off of it. Last time, Bodie Express was loose on the lead um, in the Clark. And to be fair, I felt he was a little bit flat, but um, Shug McGahee had said, to me he says you know code of honor wants a mile and an eighth maybe even longer than that he's a two-turn horse i think they've kind of figured that out about him now at this point and tyler gaffleone really rides this track so well and his job out of the gate is going to be to drop in as soon as possible and save some ground and not be parked four wide in the first turn because i guarantee you it happens every time we run these mile and an eighth races there'll be four or five wide around the first turn Oh, that reminds me of Laurel Park, the mile and 16, when the bend mm-hmm. comes up straight away and you have horses going in there four or five wide and you're thinking, well, that's just it. Race over, yep. right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's a, certainly a way to uh, to look at it. Well, looking back at quickly tax, I love what you're saying here. And Jason, when I had him on my podcast, was saying we're sort of seeing this tax 2.0. So I'm super intrigued uh, by the progression that he's made. I love that insight that he's touching the gates. That that doesn't sound good at all. That's Mm-mm. it. I can imagine that being really, really um, nerve wracking for a horse and unsettling. So certainly mm-hmm. interesting to to keep note of. And now, of course, him being a little bit older probably getting used to that a little bit better but certainly so if you would have to say your play in this field would that be tax then i ended up going to code of honor um and i'm using then tax and nicks go and then my fourth choice is a bit of a bomb with coastal defense one of two for dale romans who he had been my pick in the clark and i thought he ran actually a sneaky good race in there um, with a troubled start and an outside draw, actually a sneaky good race in the Fayette as well. Ever since I saw him in his debut, he was going six and a half furlongs. I was like, oh, this horse needs to go two turns. And finally, just in his last couple of starts, he's been doing that. But he is a mile and an eighth or longer horse all day long. And um, he's one I think could potentially grab a piece of it. So I'm intrigued by him of the two Romans runners. That's so interesting that you say that he's sort of a minor eighth horse all day long. Because I looked at his work tap, 47 flat a week yeah, ago. <laughs> that doesn't, that's not a time for a mile eighth horse. That's a sprinter time, right? I mean, how yeah. fast is he? I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of interesting. That was a really quick workout. And um, some of his workouts recently are available on XBTV. I did see the one back on January 9th, two back, where he seemed to be doing it really well. Um, he is the half-brother to Free Drop Billy, who had the same tendency to get a little bit warm before the races, a little bit keyed up. 
And we see that sometimes from coastal defense. I haven't seen him personally um, in the last few starts, but covering the Clark last time out and just kind of watching his races recently, I've noticed that he still has that tendency, but physically and mentally seems to be a lot more mature. He's very fast in the mornings. I don't know if that last work was to kind of drill in a bit more speed into him. I don't think you need to be part of the pace in this race. I think there's plenty of it, but I would imagine Corey Lannery, who's been having a very good meet for himself here too, I should mention um we'll have this horse not too far off of it oh, very intrigued by both races coming up on saturday Acacia, i know that you're busy and you're racing right you know today uh <laughs> i do believe you've already started so i'm gonna let you get back to, to your day job and of course wish you the best of luck as well on saturday i'll definitely be tuning in myself absolutely thanks so much as always Acacia always brings so much useful insight to the table and she delivered once again. Catch her at Gulfstream Park every single race day and make sure to follow her on social media. Her Twitter handle is at Acacia underscore Courtney, Courtney with a C. And to quickly reiterate her picks, Acacia's Pegasus Turf plays are the number two, Breaking the Rules. That's her prize play. The number eight, Another Twist of Fate. And she includes the number five, Colonel Liam. Then for her Pegasus World Cup selections, she uses the number 10, Code of Honor, the number seven, Tax, and the number four, Nick's Go. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Next week, I shall be back with a new guest, new stories, new previews, all of it. Make sure to tune in. 